Hello! Welcome to the Mind Buffs Podcast. I am your host, Matt Demosak, and I'm here today again with Lindsay. And I'm actually just going to give her the floor right away because it's it's kind of like a disclaimer for today and, and for just the, the intention of the time that Lindsay and I are spending together. So Lindsay, just take it away. Okay. Hi again, everyone. Yeah, I wanted to start with, first of all, thanking Matt and thanking all of you for giving me this space to talk about this. Because like we talked in the first one, that culture of silence and that huge fear about coming forward and talking about all these things. um, This is such a great opportunity to do that. And ultimately, like my goal out of sharing this is that other athletes and current athletes can hear this and be like, oh, I can now have the courage to come forward and talk about it. Like I shouldn't have to endure this. And yeah, so if you are listening to this and you're like, this is my coach, you can you can talk about it. We're doing it. I'm not saying I'm not still nervous when I talk about it, but <laughs> you can do it. Totally. So I guess knowing that it was kind of the very first time that in more of a public setting that you were able to kind of talk about your mental and emotional experience of being um, with uh, with that coach at the college level, I guess, how did you feel just telling your story last time? Um, a lot of things. I, I feel like I actually blacked out last time. Like afterwards, <laughs> I was like, I don't remember what I said. And then I started overthinking about things I said. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, that was such a harsh word to use. Like, I think I use the word dissociation and I think that is very harsh, even though what was going on, it is not. Um, yeah. So I felt kind of that like blackout overthinking about it, yeah. but then also like, whoa, I'm finally in a place to talk about this and advocate for myself and other athletes, because like we talked about that culture of silence, I was not in a place to come forward, or if I did, because um, I did talk to one person individually about it and nothing happened. So, the funny thing about the human brain is, even though it's literally just you and I in a pseudo studio slash office at Mind Buffs, and we are so far away from the court, we are so far away from that coach. It's like as soon as you start talking about your experience and that coach, it's like your brain's like. <gasps> don't uh -uh, don't Mm -hmm. do that don't say that what you say it's it's funny because our brain doesn't give a shit about context even if it's like five percent familiar our brain is wanting to like hit the giant fight or flight button button like right away and so i was very curious to kind of see how you would feel just sharing your story for the first time because i knew your brain would be sending you all this information like don't do that don't say that watch out here big step here um so yeah that's why i kind of wanted just to check in to see how you're doing yeah yeah it was definitely that and then it was definitely a lot of like oh if so and so hears this what are they going to think or if they hear this they're going to do this or yeah so so I need to just for you listeners, okay, like Lindsay's a sports psychologist. She has prepped to have this conversation. She's many years since she's been in this situation, and yet it's still difficult to tell the story. And I, I think that is really important for you guys to kind of understand that it's not supposed to be easy. It feels wrong. Like your body just sends you this information that like you shouldn't be doing this, but that's why we want to have these conversations because it's actually the culture of sport that creates that type of emotional experience. Whereas an athlete, we're told to just hush up and do what you're told. Yeah. No emotions, please. Mm -hmm. The other part too, that came up a lot for me. And like, even before we did the first podcast was like, 
me all of a sudden being like, oh, I don't want to tell this story, like, because it's going to hurt him, hurt his career. And then, like, even saying it out loud, I'm like, huh? <laughs> I'm like, he was awful. Like, I was in such bad shape. Why do you want to protect him all of a sudden? But I think that's a huge other part of this in any type of like power abusive type of relationship is figuring out why there is that piece of still wanting to protect said person. Totally. So I guess thinking of some of the stories that you were able to kind of mention briefly in our first episode, is there a point today which you really want to kind of jump off and, and kind of start sharing your experience somewhere? Um, I think that my yeah biggest thing was that other people take something from this and like feel empowered themselves from this uh, because that's not something that I had. Um, and we could go into more specific things too, because I oftentimes think a lot about like, again, back to my brain being second guessy about this is, well, you had a hard coach, boohoo, like coaches are supposed to be hard, et cetera, et cetera. And yes, I know. Yeah. I know coaches are supposed to be hard. There is a difference between a tough coach and an abusive coach. Completely. And I guess when did you feel like you first started to realize that it wasn't just like, oh, I'm playing college sports. This is what it's supposed to be like. And where it started to feel more like it was harmful for you to be there. Um, That last year. Yeah. The like first three years, I... Which is, it's a red flag in itself <laughs> that I didn't feel this way the first three years. Mm. But I think it's because there was the relationship piece there. And then my fourth year, if you remember from what we talked about in the first podcast too, there's also like a huge sense of abandonment from like him, of course, but also other assistant coaches and teammates. So I think that comes up too. Yeah. Hmm. When you think about that, that now feeling abandoned by like coaches and and players, I guess, what, what comes up for you when you think about that now? Yeah, well, I can give, I can put some images to it. Let's so. do that. Let's get juicy if you if you don't mind. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we got a new assistant coach. We had several new assistant coaches every year. Questionable. Anyways. Um, <laughs> Red so, flag number one. No. <laughs> yeah. So this new assistant coach was like great. He was like a shooting guard coach and was like, coming in hot like I'm gonna help all you guys with your shooting well especially the shooter so I was so excited um and he was like available like all summer before work like would go to the gym at like 6 a.m 8 a.m to go shoot around because like I mentioned last time I was feeling so good about having a good season um put a lot of time into me and this one other girl I'm not going to name their names, um, but she'll know. <laughs> Put a lot of time into us because we were like the returning shooting guards. Yeah. We were like the same position, um, putting in a lot of work, and it was great. And then and I'll add to like, because this adds to the confusion piece, we were the most consistent going. And then those other players that, you know, would just like sprinkle in here and there. They wouldn't get as much attention. So I guess he kind of did it to them too, but mm. he would still help them. I don't know. And then when the season started and me and this other girl were not playing, he stopped helping us. And in my head, I was like, if we're not playing, wouldn't that mean we'd need the most support mm -hmm. and you should be spending the most time mm -hmm. with us? So anyways, that happened the whole year and me and this girl, like we both recognized it and talked about it. And we were just kind of like, 
Okay. So he obviously only likes the girls that play. Um, and then at the end of the year, our year end meetings, I totally called him out. Cause at that point I was like so fed up and I looked at him and I said, you completely gave up on me. Like you didn't, you barely even talked to me. Like what kind of coach are you? And I, very harsh, but I was like very mad. So yeah, that's what happened with that coach. So I think that was a huge piece of abandonment. The other two assistant coaches were great. One of them actually like pulled me aside after that year end meeting and was like, I am so impressed with how you like handled yourself this year. And yeah. What happened after you kind of told coach off there? Absolutely nothing. Not a word. Oh my God. Not a word. Wow. Yeah. He also didn't coach there the next year. The next year. Why do you think coaches do that? It might seem like a stupid question, but like, why do you think coaches are only giving their their attention to the ones who are actually getting most of the playtime? Oh, probably because they're the ones playing. So they're like... Let's put our effort into the ones that are winning games for us. Mm-hmm. Do you think there might be like other reasons as to why like a coach does that? <clears throat> From a player perspective, mm. I I don't know. It's like you almost take it personally too. And you're like, well, have I done something that now you don't like me? Which then like, okay, so you've just showed me that my performance is completely tied to my self-worth. Right. Like that's what that does. And something that I've seen happen no matter what the sport, no matter what the age is, oftentimes coaches who are only giving their time and effort to the players that are getting all the minutes is because the coach is more concerned about their upward trajectory than all of the players on the team. They're trying to connect their name, their fa- their image, their face, their coaching, their philosophy to, look, I coached so-and-so look how well they did. And as soon as that player isn't the star, not getting the minutes for whatever reason, it's like they so quickly will abandon that ship and try to, you know, take along to whoever else is playing really, really well. And this is something that we see it all of the time. It's like even um, like in the Western Hockey League, unless you're like on the top line, most coaches at that level, they don't care about you. It's like you get one, maybe two years to kind of show what you got. And when the new young kids come in that are a year younger, it's like, well, let's give all our time and attention to them because maybe there's going to be a WNBA star there or an NHL star there. And so I find that when it comes to coaches that have low self-esteem, which I'm sorry, is is a vast majority at the collegiate and professional level, their brain is even though they're supposed to develop young athletes, their brain is focused still on what's in it for them and what's going to make them look good. That's kind of what I have found to be the reason why that happens. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think they definitely cared about that, which is just funny. On one hand, you can understand why you'd want to develop your good, good, I use loosely, players even more. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, like, wouldn't you want to have a deep bench? Like, what if... If your priority was the team, but whether you are consciously or subconsciously aware of it, a lot of coaches are still, they're filtering everything through, like, what is going to help me and my trajectory, like, in in this sport? Um, Yeah, I think another reason that comes to mind as to why coaches do this is, again, for coaches that have, like, unknown low self-esteem, if they're putting time and effort into a player and they're not getting the minutes it's like the coach doesn't want to associate themselves with someone not performing under their tutelage 
So it almost feels like, oh, like, like they're not doing what I asked them or like, you know, am I a bad like teacher? So I'm going to go like work with someone else and maybe like they'll get it mm-hmm. rather than having like difficult conversation to find out like why there isn't a translation between the investment I'm putting into you and the minutes or the the numbers. It's just like, I'd rather not have that conversation and I'm just going to try someone new in case that's easy. That makes so much sense, mm-hmm. which is like sad. And that's likely what maybe happened. But yeah, wow, yeah. that's making me think like I wasn't even worth those conversations because like I said last time, every time I would ask what I should be doing, I was giving, you're doing everything right. Clearly not. Even when you think about you like your boss or like doing performance reviews, when you ask someone for feedback and you get nothing. That's a shitty feeling. That's like, do you, oh, wait, are you even like paying attention to me then? Like, do you not, are you not coaching me anymore? Are you not managing me anymore? How come you don't have anything positive or negative to say? It's a very lonely, kind of abandoned, I think, type of feeling. Yeah. Wild. I know. So many new insights. So the reason why I wanted to kind of bring up some of those like coaching perceptions, uh, perspectives was not to be, not to add fuel to their, to the uh, Lindsay suck it up. You know, it's hard being a coach. Like you don't know what's going on, but for you coaches that are listening, that's why I wanted to talk about this as well is that um, I don't want you to feel like this entire like power differential series that Lindsay and I are doing is a coach bashing (laughs) (laughs) seminar. Um, This is also important, vital information as a coach to understand the mind of an athlete and and what they are feeling too scared to like talk to you about but you might unknowingly have been in you know category one or category two uh, of kind of those examples we gave us to why coaches stop investing in their athletes so try to pay attention if you're a leader a manager parent if you're finding that you your attention wanes and waxes depending on how well that person is doing, if that's the case, then there's probably something about like you that you're getting in the way of of development um, in that relationship. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. The other thing that happened that to go back to your very first question of how did I notice things were yeah, changing? Yeah. Is well, obviously new things were different, but it was when after games, other teams' coaches would come up to me. And ask why I wasn't playing. Oh. And this wasn't like one or two times. Like this was several times. And like coaches from the teams, again, I'm not going to name, but <laughs> coaches from the teams that were like in the top three. Yeah. So that I on one hand like built my confidence because it was like, okay, these like coaches of these like teams that are probably going to win nationals are recognizing yeah. that I'm a good player. And they're like, you're in our scouting reports and so on. Why aren't you playing? And every time I'm just like, I don't know. Thanks for recognizing it though. God, that must be such a mind fuck to yeah. like have felt so shitty the entire game because you kept wondering how come I'm not out there. And then at the end, like a, a coach that you respect or is a part of a really great program is also surprised. What the hell does yeah. that do to your brain? Honestly, like even thinking of it now, it almost, it like helped. Okay. Because it's like somebody else knows what I'm capable of because yeah. obviously I'd played them in previous years. Right. I'm good enough to be on their scouting report. Mm. You know, if you've done a scouting report, not every player is on that report. Right. <laughs> so it feels good to know that you're like on this report every time you were going to go play that team. Yeah. 
And then that coach acknowledges that your skill level and then recognize that you didn't play. Yeah. And then also has like the courage to come up to you and ask. Yeah. So yeah, it almost like made me feel good, but also like angry, which I don't feel like I get angry a lot, but like definitely then. <laughs> I love anger. I love anger so much. Anger is such an important emotion. Anger is like the, hey, something's not okay emotion. And the reason why like, a lot of athletes and like a lot of like men experience a lot of anger is typically because like they're like shoving down all feelings mm -hmm. and then it takes until like the pot boils over for like the anger to like be released but that's because like anger's job is to be like hey something is not okay it's not supposed to act on your behalf it's supposed to just get your attention mm -hmm. but anger is a very useful um a bit of information that your body is sending you that like as an athlete if you're feeling like angry every time you are you know at the gym every time like you're at the game that means that some part of you knows that what's happening is not okay but if you're just trying to ignore that feeling or, or bottle it down then yeah you have a surprising i guess yell session at a coach one day because you just can't <laughs> can't take it anymore uh, i don't think i ever yelled at him but i definitely mm. um was like really sassy. Got the sass and fress. Yeah. Which, yeah. Sometimes it's probably too much, but like also I was kind of like, yeah. it's you. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I was angry more than I thought I was. <laughs> Maybe your face showed it. Maybe your body showed it. Well, my face definitely probably showed it. <laughs> yeah. You're so good at making sure you don't like upset people and you, you check your emotions really well. So I can imagine even in that sitting, you were still wanting to make sure that you never looked like that girl or something oh, 100%. Uh. <laughs> you would i did not nope 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 i held it and then yeah as soon as i got in the car mm. just tears mm. but never never on the bench mm -hmm. never at practice what would have happened if you showed more emotion around the team do you think i know it's a big what if question but um my brain or my therapist brain because <laughs> give me both yeah okay so my therapist brain knows that like it would have been fine they were my teammates mm. they were there for me like even if it didn't seem like it and everybody got emotional on this team mm -hmm. especially when we were being screamed at <laughs> um but my brain at the time was like don't cry because everybody's gonna think you're crying because you're not playing and that's ridiculous mm. and that's the only thing that i thought other people would think mm. i did not think that other people would consider like the why yeah 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 do you know how many other teammates that you played with also waited until they got into the car to let all their emotions out uh no because in my fourth year and this is actually one of my like regrets is mm. i really withdrew mm. like a lot like i i think because i was like so emotional all the time at basketball i don't know if i like associated i don't think i associated them with it mm -hmm. but yeah i just didn't talk about it yeah. except for with like that one girl because it was kind of happening to her too right right yeah well as a sports psychologist i can we can definitely say that we know tons of athletes are having those moments by themselves yeah. on the car ride home in the shower <laughs> in the bedroom by themselves um just waiting to feel like it's okay to feel those those things um there's basically a campaign to allow for there to be more vulnerability for there to allow athletes to feel like they can express themselves more but 
I think it's definitely still in the campaign phase mm-hmm. and we're seeing very little rollout of that still in sport. Um, this has actually been a really frustrating week for several of us at Mind Buffs this week. A lot of our, um, specifically our teenage athlete clients, literally every sport, figure skating, soccer, basketball, hockey, hearing the same story over and over and over again of a coach that doesn't listen to them, that is abusive towards them, that belittles them, that embarrasses them in front of the group and does nothing in the way of ever providing like any type of like constructive feedback. And we're still so far away from sporting organizations giving a shit about the kinds of coaches that are representing their image. One of the main reasons why I became a sports psychologist was exactly for this reason, was because of the culture of silence. That as athletes, it's one of the most helpless, trapped roles, experiences, times in your life, unless you are the all-star, the best player in the city, the best player in the province. When people are like worshiping you and wanting to be a part of wherever your coattails are going. But mostly what I've wanted to do is to try and change sport enough that we stopped tolerating abusive coaching. I'm sick and tired of it. Me too. I can, I can feel my blood boiling just even talking about it because like, hmm. (laughs) yeah, it's like sport. These coaches, they don't understand like the lifelong change they're creating in their athletes by acting the way that they're acting, thinking that they are like God's gift to that sport. And in in some ways it's not entirely their fault either because they get reinforced. As long as you win, you can do whatever you want. Yep. Sure. We'll we'll give you a coach of the year award because you had an outstanding record, but we literally know nothing about your relationship to your players, whether or not the locker room was also amazing, how the practices went. We literally look at the wins and loss column and go, oh, that that's what deems a good coach or not. It's giving me a headache just thinking about it. And I, when, because you said that, okay. I need to add that in my last year, he did get coach of the year. Oh my God. Are you kidding me? And I just remember sitting there at the like playoff banquet and like, I was like fuming. I was like, if only they knew how he treated yeah. us. The last year I coached um, me and Steve McLeod. He's coaching with CAC this year. Love that man. Um, we were coaching the U16 AAA Bannon team and or midget team at the time. So just the U16 AAA team. And at the banquet ceremony, um, we had won provincials that year. It seemed like it would be like a lock that, that Steve was going to win, like coach of the year. Um, but we ruffled a lot of feathers that year. <laughs> we intentionally did not choose certain players, players whose parents had close relationships with upper management, if you will, in the hockey ops department. Uh, <laughs> um, several people wanted us fired in the first couple of months of the season because of how we were focusing on like development and like team cohesion and chemistry over getting the wins early. How dare you? How dare we? And yeah, you know, we snuck into the playoffs. We only came seventh place, but because we took the time to focus on relationships and to focus on building those players up, um, as I mentioned in another podcast, we didn't have to coach come playoffs. The players were totally bought in. And so even when we had won provincials, when it was basically a real life, literal Cinderella story, um, we didn't get any acknowledgement 
for what we did. Steven get coach of the year. They gave it to someone who lost out immediately in playoffs because they were very, very close with the people in uh, upper management that make those decisions in that club. And so there is still a very, very old boys club when it comes to the highest level of sport. And, and that's just a fact. Yeah, I know it is. It's such a, I wish I remembered the name of this article, but it was like an athlete like several years ago now. Cause I remember my mom sent it to me mm. in this year of basketball, oh. obviously no, and I needed it. Mm. Thanks mom. <laughs> um, but it was basically an athlete coming forward about her coach and how he was abusive and stuff. And I'm like, that is what needs to be done. More and more people need to come forward and like share their stories yeah. for there to be like a difference made, but people are too scared. And, and just to clarify, okay, Lindsay is not saying let's all grab our pitchforks and torches yeah. <laughs> and we're going to cancel every motherfucker out there. That's like, that's, that's not, yeah. that's not what we're doing. That's not the point. Um, we want to be able to have conversation. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's what people are really shitty at nowadays. Like social media has ruined the ability to just have conversation. We need to be able to say, I am feeling this way. The way that you are behaving, the way that you are coaching is making me feel this way. Mm-hmm. That's all we're trying to do. And if we're getting a resounding um, like cry from several people saying that I also feel this way, that's a red flag. And then the proper authorities, the proper people, they can have those conversations. We are not demanding someone being canceled. We are demanding that there be a conversation. Someone check in to see if if other people are okay if this is a coach that you want representing your brand your your club so yeah no pitchforks here no cancel culture here we just no no yeah no that's not what this is about that cancel culture is a lot sometimes yeah it's just as bad <laughs> yeah but when you even when i go out to like women's league or rec league like mm. the amount of girls that coach me and they're like oh you played for so and so i only played a year cuz you know like the amount of people or every time I meet somebody else that didn't play for him, yeah. but know him, they grew up with him or they coached with him or whatever it was, it's mm-hmm. always the same feedback. And mm-hmm. that makes me so frustrated because it's like mm-hmm. all of these people are saying this, but he's allowed to do it still. Yeah. I worked with this uh, young athlete um, that had the physical and technical skill and the character to be able to play professionally at their level and the very first year that they advanced um beyond like minor sports and ended up playing um with more professional coaches his first year of playing at that level completely broke this young man because the coach's mentality was i am going to break you so that i can mold you into who i want you to be so that when you advance, I am the one who did that. And this happens all of the time, especially in hockey, especially in figure skating. Oh my God, in figure skating, the amount of toxic coaches that want to be directly connected to the next Olympic like superstar. Um, but that, that power that coaches trick both the athlete and the parents into thinking that it is through me, my divine right as this coach is you will get to the next level through me alone. Whether that's being said directly, which I know it does, or whether it's just daily subliminal messaging, that feeling makes both the parent and the athlete feel like they just have to. 
this is just how it is. I'm trapped in the system and girl, you're just going to have to learn to suck it up because this is just what life is really like at this stage. Mm. Yeah. Do you want a specific story that relates yes, exactly to that? And I'll preface this with, yes, I'm just saying all these stories about this one coach, but that's because this is my experience. So if you're listening to this, like, it's not just about this one person. Mm-hmm. Yes, these stories that I have about this person are not great, but it doesn't mean it's just him. Anyways, um, what you just said about the parents and the athletes too, and like yeah. having to suck it up or whatever. Mm-hmm. I remember saying to my parents once, I said, if we aren't playing well in the first half, stand outside the team room at halftime. Because I, I don't want to say they didn't believe me, but I think I, parents, I hesitate to say, because I don't know, it's person specific. Maybe don't necessarily believe how bad it actually Totally. Is. So yeah, he said, stand outside at halftime if we play poorly in the first half. We played poorly in the first half. <laughs> My mom got other moms, and she is not that mom, like on uh, a sports team. Like I know when you're listening, yeah. you know exactly the type yeah. of mom. Like that is not my parents. <laughs> but she did it, got all their moms to stand outside at halftime, but then they obviously left before. And then after the game, they were like, oh my God. Wow. Yeah. I'm sweating. I know. It was, yeah. And the... There, I, th- I think she always reminds me of this too. There was a rental in the room next to the team room. And I think they had filed a complaint because of what they could hear him saying to us. Wow. Yes. Was anything done about nope. it? Nope. Because <laughs> he's winning more than he's losing. Therefore, he knows what he's doing. Therefore, he's a good coach. Therefore, everything he's doing must be okay. Yeah, which also, like that year, I don't know if we were that good. No. So it's like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it, it is, again, the reason why we wanted to do this series on power differentials is that the entire system, the entire culture is built on these really old premises that like those who are in power are infallible and their way is is the highway. And so, again, part of like the mission of what we're trying to do at MindBluffs is to position ourselves um as a team where we be able to have a voice that's strong enough that when we have these conversations, when we speak with different organizations, that we can motivate different businesses, different teams to want to have coaching staff, to have leaders on their team that are character first, that are relationship first, that that know how to build up people rather than just focusing on like old school ways to get um, get wins. Um, and part of you as, as listeners to these conversations, what how you can kind of help foster that that culture is share your story, have these conversations more openly. If you're a parent and you know that, like we're talking about the coach that's currently in charge of your son or your daughter, you know, as, as a parent group, is there something that you guys can do to say like enough is enough? I know that as a former coach, a lot of the stressful years that I had was because we had a toxic parent group that thought that they had more say than they really did. Mm. But if we know, if we have evidence that there is genuine abuse, I'm not talking about, I don't like their philosophy. I don't like the way they're coaching. I don't like the way they're doing the lines. Shut up. Like (laughs) that's not your job parents. But if you know that there's actual abuse, that your kid is scared to go to play, is scared to go to practice, talk to other parents and ask, how's your kid experiencing like the mm-hmm. coaching staff this year? Like we need to stop accepting that this is just a part of elite level sport. It's not, it doesn't need to be. There's no correlation between that type of environment and high performance. It's bullshit. It's just is the way it is because no one's challenged it. Yeah. Well said. <laughs> yeah. Fists are clenched. 
I told Lindsay before we were going to record today that I was going to feel anger in this episode because so much of this hits close to home and, and some of the clients and, and the parents that we work with. Yeah, we just, we want it to stop. So every little conversation helps. Yeah. That's a dream to be able to fix this mm-hmm. coaching player. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Yeah, the power differentials, right? That's yeah. the whole point of these conversations. And um, again, we're not just going to be hammering away at one coach for one year um, yes. in, <laughs> when Lindsay and I are hanging out, but uh, we have a lot of lived experience, both as athlete and coach, to speak to this experience. We're not just um, armchair sports psychologists who don't know what it's like, what it feels like um, to be in those spaces. So um, again, you know, if, if there's anything you think that would be a great topic for us to talk about, if you have a personal story that really speaks to um, similar stories that we've talked to about today, reach out to us, let us know, comment in um, the comment box, email us uh, info at mindbuffs.com. And then I'll end on the cringy note of like, and subscribe. Um, We do feel like these conversations can benefit a lot of people who have felt like they didn't have a voice or that they were uh, alone in these experiences. So if you think that other people in your life um, can feel heard and understood by listening to some of these conversations, then then please um, pass our information along. And more than anything, we just look forward to recording another episode with you guys next time. And thank you so much for listening today. Thank you. Take care, guys. Bye.